0: Welcome back to BrailleCast Extra and to the first in a series of recordings made at the Six Dots to Success World Braille Day Conference, which we held in collaboration with Sight and Sound Technology Limited on Wednesday, the 4th of January, 2023. In this episode, you're going to hear an introduction from Glenn Tookie and Dave Williams. You're going to hear a keynote speech from Peter White, and you're going to hear from Red Sail about our Braille for Beginners course. The session is introduced by Stuart Lawler.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our inaugural Braille conference, Six Dots to Success, which we are running jointly with our friends and colleagues at the Brailless Foundation. My name is Stuart Lawler. I am head of digital content here at Sight and Sound Technology, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to today's conference. This event has been much time in the planning and the making and we're very excited to be here today on World Braille Day, a momentous day in our our year for the birth of Louis Braille, of course, celebrating the birth of Louis Braille, the person who has given us literacy and freedom and so many other things through the code he invented. I was thinking about this last night and thinking that I'd not be sitting here today in the job that I'm doing. And I'm sure many of us who are here can say the same thing if we didn't have the wonder of the Braille code. We'll have lots to discuss today and lots to talk and think about, and we do hope you're going to stay with us for the duration. And there'll be lots of chance for you to get involved, ask questions, give your feedback. And of course, we all want to learn from each other. But before we do anything else, I want to introduce um, a couple of people to say a few words. And I want to start off with uh, Glenn Tukey, who's CEO of Sight and Sound Technology. And Glenn has been hugely supportive of this conference. I think when I mentioned it to him first, he was on his holiday somewhere and he said, go ahead. And he may have wondered what he was saying, go ahead too. But he's been really supportive. And Glenn is always up for collaboration and working with the community. So, Glenn, thank you for joining us. And uh, we'd love to uh, have a couple of words from you.
2: Thank you, Stuart. And uh, it's fantastic. A happy new year to everybody. And uh, it's great to be up first. I'm, I guess I'm the sound check, uh, testing, testing, testing. Can you all hear me? And it's been fantastic. Uh, and yes, I was on uh, a holiday somewhere, and I never know what Stuart's up to next, but I always know it's going to be fun. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, this morning and welcome everybody. Um, for those who don't know who sight and sound technology are, I'm able to say in, in 2023, we're now in to our 44th year uh, of operation uh, as a company and always uh, from the start uh, we've been in the the area of uh, technology for low vision and uh, Braille has been a cornerstone of what we do. We have uh, a good number of people in our business who are Braille users and uh, so I know how liberating it can be. I know that every single brow user in our business can do everything in the company, probably more efficiently than uh, old geezers like me wandering with a mouse around the screen. So I, I can see how effective uh, uh, and, and how life changing brow can be. So we're hugely supportive of it um, uh, as a business. And of course, uh, our boys on the tech desk help all you uh, people out there who are users uh, of the uh, software that we uh, distribute in the UK jaws and and zoom text and we uh, are always putting bits of braille displays back together so yes um, uh, we have, we we love braille passionate about it and so very keen to hear what is said here today and and, and I'm working with the braille foundation as well and and uh, there's so many people out here on this uh, on this call today and I know it's because uh, the braille foundation and the work they're doing has helped pull this community together so we're great Pleased to be here today, great to be part of this community and looking forward to the next three and a half hours as well. Uh, Thank you very much and welcome.
1: Many thanks, Glenn. Great to have you along. I know you're going to stay for some of the session this morning. Now, I think I first became aware of the Brailless Foundation in, I think, 2016. At that time, there were a small group of passionate Braille users in the UK working alongside the wonderful uh, innovators at Bristol Braille Technology. And someone who was always front and centre of that, of course, was um, Dave Williams, who is the chair of the Brailless Foundation. Uh, Dave is also the current presenter, host of RNIB's Tech Talk uh, radio show and podcast, if you're a listener, and I am. I hear Dave every week, and I thoroughly enjoy his shows. He's a great guy that I've had the pleasure of knowing for many years through our various uh, different walks of life. So Dave, you're very welcome, and we'd love to have a couple of words. Do we have Dave?
3: Hello, and a very warm welcome. I don't hear any audio from yourselves. So I will uh, continue to speak until someone uh, tells me otherwise. Um, let me start by wishing everyone a very happy World Braille Day. The 4th of January, of course, is recognised around the world as World Braille Day. And it's my great honour and privilege to be here as chair of the Braille's Foundation uh, to work welcome you to the first Six Dots to Success Braille Conference. Um, I want to start by offering my thanks to everyone involved in putting on this event, uh, the team at Sight & Sound and the Braillist Foundation. Too many people uh, to mention, and it's always a worry when you start listing people that you miss somebody out. But thank you every single person who has contributed uh, to making this event a reality. Um, I want to start by making some remarks about why we celebrate World Braille Day, share some of the work we do at the Braillelist Foundation, and also talk a little bit about how you can become a Braille ally. We celebrate World Braille Day um, because Braille means social inclusion, Um, Braille is not just about the ability of some uh, blind and partially sighted people to be able to read with our fingers instead of our ears or our eyes, but it's also about a parent being able to read the bedtime story with their child. It's about being able to join in with family games, read your own greetings cards, identify medication. Um, Braille frees the ears to access the people and the environment around us. Often when you have headphones on, people think you're listening to music. So uh, Braille is very much about uh, being included. And I've been told by blind people from around the world how when they are using Braille, it means that they can do many of the same things that their sighted peers uh, can do. Our mission here at the Braillists Foundation is simply more Braille. And that starts with our beginners. For the last three years, the Braillist Foundation has been teaching Braille online, something that I previously thought was probably impossible. And uh, we've had hundreds of people register for our Braille for Beginners course, which is now available on demand. So if you know somebody who has any interest in starting to learn Braille, they can do that completely free of charge over at braillist.orgslash beginners. We're also building a community of Braille enthusiasts, Braille readers, teachers, students, parents, professionals, experts from across uh, the industry to come together and collaborate and explore ways in which we can share and spread information about Braille, and we do that through our Braille Bar sessions and also our forum. The Braylist Foundation also provides a series of masterclasses for existing braille readers to upskill, to share expertise, to learn from one another. Often, uh, as brailleists, we are spread quite thinly, and the masterclasses have been a great way to bring some of that expertise together. And we make that available as an ongoing resource over at Braylist.org/slash media We are, of course, a young organization. We registered at the start of 2020, and we need to work with partners and all stakeholders to spread awareness about Braille. And you can do this by using Braille in public, uh, by drawing attention to Braille wherever you happen to see it, and simply telling people um, about Braille. We also need to work together to improve the perception of Braille, because in some quarters, there is a sense that Braille has been superseded by speech technology. And of course, everybody here today knows that isn't the case. So when you hear myths about Braille, feel confident about calling those out. Braille is uh, a contemporary communication medium. It is available in modern smartphones, tablets and laptops and continues to be highly relevant in 2023 and beyond. We also need to encourage braille adoption. I am saddened when I hear about individuals who've lost their sight, who've gone to their uh, local rehabilitation team, to be told that they're too old to learn braille. The fact that many people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s have joined our Braille for Beginners program tells me that you're never too old uh, to learn braille. So if somebody has the sensitivity in their fingers and the willingness to learn, then Braille should be considered. And also we can advocate and become allies uh, for Braille readers by listening to the community and elevating the voices of Braille readers wherever we hear them. So we look forward to a fantastic conference, to working together to make every day a Braille day.
1: Thank you very much, Dave. A wonderful couple of words there. I'm sorry for the audio glitches at the start, but uh, you came across loud and very clear. And uh, I think a great way for us to keep a couple of key points in our minds as we start into the main uh, part of our conference. Now, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a BBC broadcaster, legendary BBC broadcaster, Peter White. Um, Peter White first presented In Touch, BBC Radio 4's programme for visually impaired listeners in 1974. Born in Winchester, Peter has been blind from birth. Since 1995, Peter has been BBC's disability affairs correspondent. He was the first totally blind person to produce news reports for television television. Over the last decade, he has um, written four series of autobiographical talks for Radio 4, as well as the acclaimed series No Triumph, No Tragedy. In 1999, he published his autobiography See It My Way. And other Radio 4 programmes Peter has presented include Pick of the Week, You and Yours, and a series of 15-minute features called Blind Man on the Rampage. I want to I haven't heard of that. I want to get my hands on it and have a listen. It sounds great. So, Peter White, we are so grateful to you for joining us, and you are very welcome to the Six Dots to Success conference. Thank you very much.
4: Stuart, thank you very much indeed. And hi, everyone. Uh, It's a great honor to do this because, as you will gather from what I say, Braille has been possibly apart from one or two wonderful individuals and family the most important element in my life in a way absolutely key to more or less everything everything that I've done um, Stuart will know that I was anxious um, I'm always anxious about um, doing things on zoom or indeed anything involving technology I'm not the world's greatest technologist so I was hugely reassured When we went over to the presenter of Tech Talk and we couldn't hear him, I thought, so it isn't me that does that. First of all, Uh, I also know the great danger of inviting Dave Williams, uh, someone I think I can describe as a mate, um, uh, to invite him to speak without any way of stopping him. Uh, and I thought, well, if this goes on, I'll have nothing left to say. Um, fortunately, all David's what he's done is um, highlighted some of the things that I want to to bring out as well. So uh, uh, I think uh, I feel relatively safe on that. Um, don't expect balance in this uh, talk of mine. Uh, the BBC uh, worries a lot now about what it likes to call unconscious bias. Uh, Well, what I can promise you here is a great deal of very conscious bias on my part, as far as promoting and speaking out for the Braille system. Um, I think you're more likely to get a PN of praise for Braille and what it's contributed to my life. And by the way, I'll be very happy to take some questions. So I'll try and leave enough time for you to to put them because there are a lot of big issues. Dave. Williams raised indeed some of them uh, about people understanding the significance of Braille and the nonsense that's talked about it maybe being out of date and having and had its day. I'll come back to that. Um, But uh, first of all, beginnings. I've always said that that I've been a very lucky person. People are surprised, uh, sighted people anyway, because they don't expect blind people to say that. But it's absolutely true. And one of the first pieces of luck that I have was that my father was a carpenter and I had an older brother who was also blind a very underestimated uh, uh, piece of good fortune Uh, so where am I going with this well when I was very little uh, my dad produced a small wooden block with six round holes in it Perhaps you're beginning to see now with six round holes where I'm going. And my brother, uh, older brother, produced six marbles which fitted snugly into those holes. And using them, he taught me the 26 braille letters. So before ever I even went to uh, special blind school, which was the only option in those fair off days at the age of five, um, I had got uh, the concept of Braille, uh, which was a really good start, a definite advantage. I would be the last person to say that learning Braille is easy. It isn't. Uh, I, I, but I, having had a head start, that was great. Learning the system is a whole lot easier than actually reading it, um, because that is often the problem. Uh, people understand the concept, you know, uh, three, uh, two sets of three, Uh, vertical dots, uh, it's when you have to deal with all the complexities that go with it. I certainly struggled initially. Um, uh, I mean, when I first went to school, uh, they gave me something called a braillette board. Um, I've not seen one since, I don't think. Um, Nothing like as clear and as user-friendly as as my little board with six marbles in it, But, but it basically, involved putting a few dots or pins or into a, into relevant holes. Um, when you really start trying to read Braille, putting it together, complete with punctuation, contractions, abbreviations, and some very uh, odd rules, uh, some of those rules about the whole uh, English way of spelling, uh, it, is, it can be very tough. I remember Uh, being given a little book called um, something like Tiny Steps for Little Folk. Um, And there were a strange, this was a very early Braille book, there was a strange pair called Nig and Nog who were trying to push something up a hill. Uh, I never knew, and I don't know till this day, what indeed it was that uh, that something was, or indeed what kind of creatures Nig and Nog were, um, because I was actually struggling to understand. But what I did know was I wanted desperately to learn this thing called braille. I'd been obsessed by it in a way since I first came into touch uh, with it. Uh, All one summer holiday, I I tried to do this, which wasn't very good because there was nobody there who could really advise me. Uh, But back at school, it seems to me, this is childhood memory. um, One Friday, I was still um, grappling with braille And the following Tuesday, it had somehow slipped into place. Uh, It's one of the miracles of my life. I don't know how it happened. I may have exaggerated slightly, but that's how it felt. I can remember the feeling of suddenly thinking, I can read this. I can read this in consecutive sentences. I'm beginning to read a story rather than just try to distinguish between a bunch of meaningless dots. Um, it's, as I say, it suddenly made sense, and to be honest, I, I've never looked back, and I don't suppose there's been a day in my life, um, which is now considerably long, where I haven't read Braille. Uh, from Nigger Nog, uh, with one bound, it felt that I, I progressed to real books. Um, I remember getting my first list. Of books that uh, my uh, f- form teacher at Bristol School, um, which was a terrible place, and it's the braille is the one thing I can be grateful to it for. So perhaps that um, outweighs everything else. But I got this list of books about things I really cared about, mainly animals. Bambi was the first book I ever got from the National Library for the Blind, a wonderful and rather mourned institution, I would say. Uh, then Doctor Doolittle and a, a, a book which i would never heard of or, or heard anyone mention since, but I loved it when I got it. It was called Beautiful Joe, and it was about a dog. Um, and th- I was finding other worlds. I turned out to be, I have to say, a bit of a a bit of a freak when it came to braille. I, I mean, I was I I do did read it very fast from very early on. Um, and the great frustration once I did start to learn was that my teacher wouldn't believe that at two o'clock in the afternoon I would uh, have finished the book that she'd given me at nine o'clock in the morning. Indeed, she didn't believe that I had finished it and that I wanted another one. and she she said, "I won't give you another one until i until you read it properly." So I said, "Well, test me on it then." she did and I managed to win my case and after that I didn't have to uh, queue up for books I just got given them and then I was shown the library and left up to my own devices but I was experiencing already that joy all book lovers will know of being able to get lost in a book no intervening voices just me and my imagination, and the author's imagination, but uh, which weren't always the same thing, and my picturing of the characters the way I wanted them to be. But I also began to realise, once I'd started to learn, where this new delightful skill could take me. uh, And I realised it very early. I was put in for something called the National Braille Reading Competition, which we tried to revive on In Touch um, a few years ago. We revived it for a bit, long enough to do a programme about it, and then it died again, but I'd love to see it revived again. Um, So this Braille Reading Competition, I was entered for it at the age of six (laughs) against children um, who were often two, three, four years older than me, Um, and I won it. Uh, and got great credit from my headmaster for this because it brought a bit of credit to the school which didn't tend to get very much in those days and uh, it did all sorts of things for me it wasn't only the braille reading it meant you performing in front of an audience Um, uh, and uh, not only that um, I was. It was. It was a big event. It was. It was a media event. Uh, I was. I was being interviewed by people from the BBC. Uh, before I was eight, I'd been on uh, an old programme uh, now, but the Radio Newsreel, which was the main news programme in the evenings on radio at the time, uh, the Today programme, and even television. Braille was already beginning to steer me. I think in the direction of a career in the media, because I, I, I loved the attention. I was already realising I liked showing off and being the centre of attention. Not only that, but this event attracted some uh, pretty distinguished um, ju- people as judges of the competitions, because we, we, we were judged by you know, proper authors. Uh, I was particularly excited when I learned that one year's competition was being judged by T.S. Eliot, who I already knew, a cocky eight-year-old, had uh, written those famous books, Mill on the Floss and Middlemarch. Um, I was getting a bit confused, I think, but I didn't know. I didn't realize that those books were written not by T.S. Eliot, but but by a dead woman confusingly called George Eliot. Um, But I was particularly proud when T.S. Eliot, uh, thinking that he was George Eliot, said that I had a good sense of humor. So that was very encouraging. I also met the Queen Mother. I didn't have a chance to find out much about her sense of humour, but um, in fact, she was trying to hand me uh, a book with the passage I'd read, a couple of um, large silver cups and a a copy of the book with the passage that I'd read. And uh, I almost fell over in an attempt to curtsy carting all this lot about Um, and she was very reassuring about that but it made a good photograph more to the point I'd embarked on a life of reading and I had that joy which all devout readers know of being able to escape from real life which sometimes was a bit grim at Bristol into those other worlds that books provide Um, what I hadn't learned yet but was about to was that Braille books could give you that direct relationship with the page, which makes learning, remembering, storing information easier. You can visualize it and call it up in a way which simply hearing it, going to a live lecture, uh, getting in in an audio form, all of which are very important. But certainly for me, they won't give you that direct relationship. I mean, it's the the tactile equivalent of a photographic memory, in a way, and you you can call it up when you need it. Um, So when it came to taking exams, to studying texts more deeply to understand subjects you were interested in, uh, and then much later than that, when you were going into a profession where recalling facts... And names and dates is absolutely vital, particularly important. I realized that Braille could do this for me in a way which live lectures, uh, audio forms of learning, and later on synthetic speech couldn't. I'm not decrying any of these other methods of information gathering, but I am saying that for me, anyway. It has worked particularly well. I use the alternatives, of course. There are times when that's more appropriate, but you know, Braille is the standard as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I was rather excited the other day talking to a 22-year-old uh, recently qualified blind lawyer uh, to discover that she felt the same. So this is not just uh, me being an old fuddy-duddy. Clinging on to outdated methods. Um, it took me a long time to work out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, not unusually, I, uh, you know, one struggles trying to figure out what what you want to do, and if you're blind, the options are limited. Um, and I didn't want to do any of the ones that were being <laughs> suggested to me. So it did take a long time, and again, luck intervened. When I say that I've been lucky, you know, I think I, I can give plenty of instances of that. Um, they say good timing is often the key to success. Well, certainly for me, with the, the media, this proved to be the case. I mean, we're in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, local radio was just coming on stream because if I'd been trying to get in even a few years earlier, Um, The BBC was a monopoly. It was a rather stuffy organisation. It can still be a rather stuffy organisation. And um, you would have found it very difficult to do what I eventually did, which was while I was at university realising I was not doing the right thing and in the wrong place, I heard about the opening of a local radio station in Southampton, which was near where I lived. And uh, in the middle of a term, I just hitchhiked down to Radio Salent, uh, kind of gatecrashed crashed them. Uh, the girl on the desk wasn't very encouraging. She said, have you tried writing to the BBC? I said, yes. She said, well, you know, what did they say? Uh, I said, well, they they said that uh, they had no vacancies at the moment. <laughs> I of the BBC and the huge organisation it was having no vacancies was a bit ridiculous to start with. It, they had no vacancies, but they would let me know, it, should any arise? And I said, that was a year ago, and I've not heard from them since. So she said, well, We haven't got any vacancies either, Uh, so you know, just don't call us; we'll call you. Um, I was very lucky. uh, Again, um, uh, a man to whom I shall also is on my list of people to be grateful for is Ken Warburton, who worked for Solent, then went on to work for other stations, Nottingham and other parts of the BBC. He saw my white stick uh, trailing rather sadly into the lift, um, and. He had been given, a lot of the local radio stations did start doing programs for blind people. And he'd been given the job of doing this. He knew nothing about the subject. He hadn't even got a blind grandmother, which is, as you know, a grave oversight, because people, when they try to help you, always tell you that their granny is blind and therefore they know exactly what to do. Um, he, uh, he saw my stick trailing into the lift. And I was just about to hitchhike home when the phone rang and it was Ken and he said, um, you know, what were you what, what were you doing there? And I saw you going in. I said, I, I want to work for radio. And he said, well, I've got this blind program that, that I've got to do. And I said, I don't want to do a blind program. <laughs> I want to do ordinary stuff, you know, politics, current affairs, sport. I don't think I thought I could be a sports commentator, but. Um, uh, but anyway, Ken was patient, and we talked. And he said, "Come down and see me." And uh, really, that was the story of how I got in. I went to see him. He gave me a half-hour lesson on a tape recorder called a Ewer, which was the old standard piece of equipment that the um, that the BBC used. I went to interview. Uh, a, I didn't. I didn't know many blind people in the area, but I, there was a, a girl who was learning horse riding. Uh, in the new forest, and they said, go and interview her. So I went and interviewed her, and I always remember um, I said to her, uh, what sort of problems then do you you encounter horse riding? And she said, uh, avoiding low-flying aircraft. Um, And they didn't understand why this was very funny, Uh, but, you know, because they expected us to – I think they thought if I was going to be doing a blind program, it would all be terribly serious and terribly sad – um, and it wasn't. And I think that was the beginnings of my realising that, you know, the programme had to have a, both a serious and a light touch. Anyway, I got, I got established. I got a chance. And I think the thing they hadn't expected um, was that I would be someone who could read a script really fluently. My braille was good enough to do this. It was something that they hadn't seen before. They weren't expecting it. And it opened so many doors quickly that might otherwise have been closed to me. So, even at that really early stage, I could have been knocked back. I mean, I was reasonably gregarious, I could have gone out and doing interviews. But the business of uh, it meant that I could write and deliver my own scripts, I could read other people's scripts, I could even do news bulletins and did. Um, as I gradually established myself. That didn't all happen straight away, but it, but it gradually happened. And it was Braille that made it possible. And I gradually progressed um, doing items for magazine programs other than the blind program. We did do a blind program and I wasn't really being sniffy about it, but I didn't want to be pigeonholed. I realized even at that stage, that, that would be very easy for it to happen. Um, reporting, and the only problem then was the lack of material in Braille, um, to which Dave uh, has referred. In those days, that problem is is becoming, uh, is beginning to be overcome. In, indeed, it it potentially it has been overcome. It's just getting all the ducks in a row, really. Um, but in the media, especially, the lack of newspapers was a problem for me. I just got married and the marriage almost ended on the fact that I was getting my wife to read the Southern Evening Echo to me every evening. And really, as a potential uh, marriage destroyer, uh, there are far better things to do when you've been only married a few weeks. I can assure you, probably some of you may even remember. Um, So that was a, uh, a problem. Um, And as I say, those problems have to some extent been overcome by technology and uh, are very close to being solved completely. There were other problems with the job, transport, um, taking levels visually, um, editing, (laughs) trying to edit using a razor blade, which uh, was quite fun and very slow. And I was very glad when I got well established enough to be able to give the job to somebody else. Um, and now, of course, it's done digitally. Uh, but as for the business of actually broadcasting, delivering your scripts, that was never a problem to me. At this stage, um, delivering all my material, uh, I was I was using an ordinary Perkins Brailler, uh, writing them out initially myself, but also taking down material produced By other people, reporters, producers, editors, and so forth, uh, that had to go in the programme, working right up to the second of the broadcasts that we were doing. So, you know, timing as I began to do live things, um, I needed to be able to do them as quickly as anyone else, and Braille made that possible. taking braille machines into studios with me, um, writing scripts sometimes while other tapes were playing. You know, if it was a news program, again, because, uh, because of the speed at which you could do, do it. Sometimes actually it was an even an advantage to do stuff in braille. I remember one occasion when um, we were doing, I was by that time, I was doing You and Yours on Radio 4 uh, in Broadcasting House our office was on the seventh floor and the, uh, the programmers in the basement, 10 floors below. Um, what, nor- what happened in those early days is was that people would uh, produce the scripts, um, you know, on, on computers and put them into a shared area. Whereas I banged away individually on my braille machine. And one day we just had this, um, we had a massive um, power cut. All the laptops were out of use. Everything was out of use. It also even turned out that the lift was out of use. So people would have had to go 10 floors down. I was already down there with my braille machine. I had a script. uh, And so we started the program. It was a dual presentation program, but there was only one presenter who could read because everything else was down. And I got through the three, doing the first three items. um, And finally got that and finally the power came back on and my I was joined by my co-presenter and I got this immortal message which on my headphones from the producer saying thank god you're blind and I thought last, oh, somebody realizes so that was that was great and it was an occasion where doing a system which was completely different to everybody else's actually saved the day because there was no technology involved in that really other than pressing six dots down. One thing which has been fascinating and exciting for me has been watching how the production of braille has has gradually developed. Almost it sometimes seemed uh, in order to solve the precise problems that I was facing. I'm starting with that old braillette board that I started moving on to perforating paper with a pin on a bit of wood otherwise known as a dotter, as we old brailleists used to call it, to produce the braille dots one by one on the other side of the paper. Then what now seems like something out of the arc, uh, which is a Stainsby Brailler, a machine with all the moving parts exposed, including the teeth on the carriage return, braille teeth, but at least you could uh, bash down all the dots at once. And then what seemed like the height of sophistication, the Perkins Brailer which is an American-produced machine but designed by a Brit, uh, which I'm still using in emergencies and used to use very regularly until only about 10 years ago. That arrived at our house when I was about 10. Um, and this is where my blind brother makes a second appearance because on the day that it came, in order to gain proficiency, um, We spent all of the first day, it came writing the sentence, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, alternately, um, and turning it into a race because everything in our childhood uh, had to be turned into a competition or a game. So by the end of that day, uh, as I say, it was who could do the fastest. And at the end of that first day, I was probably as proficient as I am now, Uh, but maybe one of the best days work uh, in terms of my future, that I ever did. Um, the coming of embossers, of course, um, has moved things on yet again, particularly those which can produce your material um, simultaneously in print and braille, which I now have, thus overcoming the objection that uh, cited producers and editors felt they had um, because they felt they had no control over your material. Um, Something which at the time, I must admit, I regarded as a great advantage because people didn't know what I was writing, <laughs> and, uh, didn't really know what I was going to say until it came out of my mouth. Um, but uh, it, it has, has been an enormous boon in bringing things forward. Braille has enabled me to work independently really, to keep up with producing material, uh, read it in all kinds of places. I've um, I've read a Braille script on the cliffs of Normandy when uh, marking the 50th anniversary of D-Day, uh, the D-Day landings for local radios. Uh, that was still with Radio Salem doing pieces to camera for television news. And be rather careful doing those, because if you if you've got an old fashioned Braille script, you're standing up to do a piece to camera if you're going to read it your hands are kind of down by your tummy some somewhere and sometimes a bit lower. So people intend to might get the wrong idea about what you're actually trying to do. But we did manage to do that. Usually I learnt those pieces to camera, but it was something I could do in an emergency. Uh, I balanced a, a brailler on the Great Wall of China uh, in order to uh, write the introduction um, from a for a program there. Um, in I've been in. Uh, Stadia for six Paralympics um, and my Perkins Brailler very nearly got I left it by mistake in a stadium in Atlanta in 96 and uh, they carted it away when, and were on the point of blowing it up when I managed to retrieve it. So Braille's enabled me to be extremely flexible in choosing the conditions in which I can work. Um, I've left Braille note takers on buses um, managed to get them back. I told you about the Brailler that got blown up. Um, all sorts of things have happened to me, but throughout Braille has shown itself a wonderfully flexible working tool. Um, just to go back to the embossers for a moment, because another thing they've done has been to embed me more in a working team. Um, and at its best, broadcasting is very much about teamwork um so I've rather outgrown that idea that I ought to be able to do it as a complete um, a, a, a complete kind of independent renegade as I said in the past when using the Perkins there's been a tendency for me to be a bit of an oddity someone working very much on their own using a rather alien methodology indeed until the words came out of my mouth as they say the team didn't always know what was going to happen um, but, uh, with the embosser now has come a greater sense of inclusion, uh, it, exactly what Dave Williams was referring to. Uh, the one, as I say, used uh, that I use produces scripts in print as well as in Braille and in any case um, are printed directly from the shared scripts, which the rest of the team are using and updating all the time. Um, And when a live program is on now, it's team members who are bringing in listeners' emails, which have been uh, uh, embossed, uh, having come in as texts and tweets so that I can include them in in the program. I think that's made a huge difference. Um, One could sometimes wish they could produce things a little faster, but uh, we're getting there. Um, And of course, that problem of more material, as I said, is largely on the way to being solved as well. The ability to scan your own material or get it scanned for you now, to get newspapers at five o'clock in the morning, uh, to get access to an enormously enhanced number of books and to choose which books you you get rather than the ones that well-meaning charities have decided that you can have. I understand that Braille's not for everyone, that it is difficult to learn, and even more difficult for some to use at the level that I've been talking about. But by the same token, for some, and I'm one, um, tapping screens is difficult to master. Uh, you know, um, people have different talents, but uh, Braille, I think, has that potential. It is the nearest equivalent to print that we're going to get, despite having been invented 200 years ago. Uh, For me personally, it's no exaggeration to say that what that wonderful Frenchman uh, came up with almost 200 years ago has been the joy of my life, both in terms of a wonderfully pleasurable way of earning a living and the sheer delight of inhabiting other worlds in my head. Just one more crucial thought, because I do want to give people a chance to fire back, ask questions, make comments. Um, you often hear some wild talk along the lines of, has Braille got a future? Has it had its day? Uh, with the development of synthetic speech, the somewhat slower development of speech recognition. It's the kind of talk you heard from newspapers when radio came along. It was gonna, radio was gonna destroy the newspaper. It's the kind of talk you heard from radio when television came along. Um, the kind of talk you had from local newspapers when local radio came along and so on and so forth. The idea that the development of something new makes everything that's gone before uh, irrelevant or redundant. uh, Not the case. Each form of communication, not all, clearly some things do become redundant, but in terms of big ones, each form of communication has a relevance of its own. If Braille is irrelevant, then print is irrelevant. Actually, book sales have never been stronger and higher. The way that it's packaged may change, its intrinsic value as the most direct, unencumbered route into somebody's head remains the same. And I just hope that Braille remains in the custody of people who genuinely understand and care about books, because I think that's important as well, including the continuation of the the braille book, I end with this thought: as late as my early 40s, I thought that my dream of any book, not just those selected for us, uh, was uh, available, would be available. But um, in my early 40s, that was still a daydream. Rumors of systems that would make it possible to read print directly came and went. I assumed. I'd be dead before almost unlimited access to books became a reality. The arrival and development of electronic braille, uh, the technology to be able to scan books yourself or get them scanned for you, the sort of small portable machine uh, to read them all on, uh, read all those things on seemed a world away in the early 80s, the machine I'm using at the moment uh, for notes, uh, you couldn't have imagined it then. Um, how fast things can change, and may they continue to change for the better. Uh, Louis Braille and the people who've built on his brilliant, yet so simple invention, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Peter. What a keynote address. Um, so much to digest. and. Um, I don't think we'll ever speak to anybody else who has used their Perkins Brailler on the Great Wall of China. So thank you very much for sharing so much with us and for giving us, I suppose, um, a glimpse, not only into your Braille journey, but into uh, your professional life and and, and how you've done so many things with the aid of Braille. It's it's fantastic. We're going to uh, pop over to Fanula in a sec, who's keeping an eye on chat, just to have a look at, see if there's, I think, one or two comments and questions have come in. But your old mate, Dave Williams, uh, chair of the Brailless Foundation, has his hand raised. So Dave, we'll bring you in for a a quick question. Um, If you'd like to ask your question, Dave, I hope you can. I hope you're unmuted.
3: Hi, good morning, Peter, a beautifully biased defensive Braille, if ever I heard one. Thank you very much indeed for that. We really appreciate it. Um, I know there will be lots of questions. I wondered if you could offer some encouragement and some advice for those people who sort of start to learn Braille, but then really struggle to develop that fluency that you described. I know you and I have worked together, and I've seen uh, you know hard copy handed to you, and you just read it as eloquently and as smoothly as any print reader would. So, can you just offer some some tips and some encouragement for those Braille readers who really struggle with kind of pushing on with Braille? Uh,
4: yeah, thanks, Dave. I, I think the first thing. To say is don't expect to to be able to do that. I I I think I am a freak. There are a few other freaks like us. There are I'm not unique, but being able to read it the way I do is unusual. Um, I've even I'm told I've even got an odd style of doing it, which does involve um, using both hands simultaneously. So reading one thing with one hand and one with the other. Don't think you have to do that. I mean, initially think of Braille as a tool, something you can use for the labeling. I mean, Small Steps for Tiny Folks wasn't a bad title. Um, it is a gradual thing. Um, I'm delighted that it, it, this can be taught online because one of the problems I would normally have highlighted with a question like this is the problem of getting teachers, getting people to teach it. Um, and I've come across you know, lots of cases of people who are newly blind, who want to, to learn it, or indeed people who've been blind quite a long time but have never been offered the opportunity. So I think um, set your own goals and don't set them too high. Um, and, but I really think we ought to have, uh, we, we still need a more um, comprehensive way of offering teaching to people, which clearly the Braille Foundation is doing with this idea of online and we perhaps should um, we should cover this more on in on in touch. So uh, I think there's no there's no simple answer to this, but it is something which um, persistence and not setting yourself unrealistic goals I just, I just don't get too discouraged.
1: Thanks for that, Peter, and thanks, Dave, for your question. I'm just going to pop over to Fanula in case there's anything on chat that we want to bring to Peter's attention.
2: Thanks, Jared. There's a couple of things there. I suppose there was a couple of comments earlier on. Um, Claudia is saying that she found the Braillette Um, very good for training, dexterity and motor skills. And I suppose it's interesting to see how things are done differently, maybe in different countries. Um, You know, Claudia was saying it's not used here anymore, but she's from Poland. Um, Fiona had a comment and then a question. I suppose the initial comment was about maybe sending younger children braille books rather than audio books, maybe as gifts. Um, And then Fiona's question for you Peter is do you use refreshable Braille like a Braille um, sense or something like that and I know the answer is yes because you had misplaced it before our call here but maybe you want to talk about that just a little bit
4: Well, well, indeed, yes. Um, Sight and sound have just sold me one. So uh, I I certainly uh, use electronic Braille and refreshable Braille. I think it's very interesting, the point she makes about sending um, blind children Braille books. I mean, uh, I can remember right from really early on, uh, you know, people, kids went into their stockings, uh to to on christmas morning to get you know um electric trains and and now computers and xboxes uh the first thing i looked to see was whether i got any braille books and my parents always got me braille books because they knew it was the only thing i wanted <laughs> so i i think that is a very good idea uh, and encouraging uh, uh, the other thing i can also remember and i wasn't i'm not in favor of this but it shows how things have changed in a way in that we were discouraged from using audio books. I mean, the RNIB, and I, and I don't advocate that because I don't advocate anything that discourages people from using any way of getting information. I, I remember seeing a um, an a talking, a RNIB talking book catalogue when I was about eight or nine, and it had a lot of books in it that weren't in Braille. And I said, "Well, why can't we use that?" "Oh, you don't want to do that. That will discourage you from." And I think it was, from, it was my father <laughs> saying, "That will encourage discourage you from using Braille. You'll get lazy." And he may have been right, but I think you know, in the ideal world, you use any form of communication that will work for you, and it's perfectly reasonable to use two or three. I do enjoy audio books, and indeed, there is an in touch program uh, talking exclusively about audio books on um, probably not next week, but the one after. So uh, I think you can do both, but obviously anything that's done to encourage children um, to read Braille. As I say, I was encouraged the other day by talking to uh, uh, a young woman who has just qualified as a barrister, and uh, she is a huge advocate for Braille. Um, Some of you may have come across her, Jessica. Her name is. And we may talk to her about that at greater length on the program. So yes, uh, sending Braille books to children, very good idea.
1: I'm I, sorry, uh, Peter, I just see an, another comment in chat from um, from another Peter, actually, and he says that um, that your book was the first book he read without struggling uh, after he learned Braille, and he just wants to say thank you. that oh, yeah.
4: That's hugely encouraging, you know. A that he bothered that he read my book, and B that 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 he found it easy easy to read in braille. So, uh, uh, Peter, thank you very much. I'm cheered by that.
1: Okay, I'm going to take. I'm going to try for one more question with a hand raised, and it's Dorothy Dark. So, Dorothy, we're going to unmute you. And after that, I'm afraid we're going to have to call a halt to the questions for now. But there's lots more chance for you to, to speak, of for people to engage a little bit later on. So, uh, Dorothy, you should be able to talk to us. You're unmuted.
2: Oh, hello, Peter and everybody. I've been blind all my life. And I think that um, I use Braille, but a lot of people find it when you go to companies, you can't get things in Braille. And this eight dot Braille and all this new technology Braille with different is not the same. Why do the RNIB not write the books in proper Braille like you've been talking about with six dots instead of all this extra? Because I, can't, I used to get Boots catalog, but now I can't read it because they've put all this extra computing. Braille is computing, not in Boots.
4: Uh, Dorothy, you have just raised an issue that we could probably spend about two hours on. Um, one of the people you could I mean uh, Dave Williams of course uh, my mate is not only uh, the uh, chair of the Braille Foundation but works for the organization that made that decision so perhaps you should put that question to him <laughs> uh, I, I know what you mean um, I have I think I I'm lucky because of the speed at which I can read Braille um, I. I kind of it's a bit like when you've got interference on a radio station and you want and you want to hear it. So but in a way where you can tune it out um, and that that I think is what I tend to do. But I, I must admit, um, for someone who'd read in a certain way for, I don't know, it must have been about 50 years when it came along. Um, it did. It did seem we had a lot of debates about it on in InTouch. Um, about why it was necessary we had all the arguments about um you know computer um uh, sort of collectivity that it that it made it possible to to print things in all sorts of different formats and different language i had all sorts of reasons why um i never completely felt reconciled to it but i wasn't involved in the decision and I, I, pro- I probably wouldn't have made it, but there you go. <laughs> I'm beginning to feel like a politician there. But I, uh, so slightly dodging it, but I genuinely didn't. So um, uh, I I regretted it at the time. I've got used to it now.
1: Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, uh, Dorothy, for the question. And thanks, Peter. Peter, it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, I think you you've given us so much to think about You've given us a great start to our conference and I think lots of thoughts that people will be able to have time to chat more about in the breakout rooms. Uh, I know you're, you are also have other things on, on this morning, so we do appreciate you joining us today and uh, celebrating with us on World Braille Day. So thank you very, very much again. It's a great pleasure.
4: I've very much enjoyed it, and uh, I'd be very interested in hearing any other feedback that comes, which I'm sure Stuart will steer my way.
1: We certainly will, and we'll be uh, tuning into you on your um, various programs uh, over the next over the next little while. Thanks again, Peter. Cheers, Stuart. Thank you. Ta- take care. Thanks a million. Okay, uh, that is uh, the first part. Our keynote uh, part of our conference is just concluding. Before we go on a break, Fanula Murphy has been putting on her journalist hat for the last couple of weeks because we wanted to talk to some people who have learned Braille at different stages of their life and to get an experience of what that journey has been like and how they use Braille. And uh, we're going to play the first of these short videos now. We have another one coming up later on in the morning. Um, so our first video is with Red Sale, and Red was one of the participants on the Braillist Foundation's Learn Braille, um, Braille for Beginners rather course uh, last year. And uh, Red will tell his story about his Braille learning journey. So it's a nice uh, video piece that runs through about four minutes. Uh, so Fanula, whenever you are ready, we might just we might just play that.
5: My name's Red Sail, I'm 53 years old, and I live in London. And I started losing my sight, well, I was diagnosed as having retinitis pigmentosa when I was 19 years old, and my sight disappeared gradually over the next 30 or so years so that now I can't even see the fingers in front of my face. Um, I struggled on with reading Uh, visually as long as I could but about 10 years ago um, I had to admit defeat and made the transition to audiobooks but it has to be said I never thought that at my advanced age and with my very gnarly fingers from doing a lot of rock climbing I'd ever be able to do Braille. I was really embarrassed into learning braille because i was at a climbing conference this time last year up in sheffield and it was just after the lockdowns so there weren't very many people around and i got into an empty hotel lift and whereas normally i could feel the embossed numbers on the lift buttons this one only had braille and I had no idea which floor I was going to. Um, There was nobody there to ask. And I suddenly realised that the thing that was there specifically for people like me, Braille, was something that I couldn't access. And it just made me feel as if I was missing a trick. So I thought I'd better get to grips with it um, and started looking around for an online course. I heard a feature on RNIB Connect Radio about a free course run by braille for beginners Um, and i thought well it's free and it's online so if as i suspected i was completely hopeless at it then i could just drop out of the class without having to sort of stand up in a classroom and shuffle my way to the door i could just sort of stop the zoom meeting and leave and nobody would know any better the the course was run by dave and Mel and Ben but Mel was our primary teacher mm. and I think what was really nice is that she's blind herself she's clearly taught lots of people over the years so she knows all the questions and foibles and difficulties that we're probably going to experience and she's just very calm She she's a brilliant brilliant teacher so I finished the course in March and I knew all the alphabet in Uncontracted Braille and um, I knew the punctuation, and so I ordered a couple of books from the RNIB, a couple of Braille short stories, and I've just worked my way very slowly through them. It's more of a jog than a sprint, um, but I yeah I do. I'm probably doing about an hour's practice a night now and reading three or four pages of each of these short stories and really enjoying it. It's actually, I've realized the only time I get to read silently. I've got so used to having audiobooks read to me or having my screen reader talking to me or my phone. And, and it's quite intrusive. I mean, obviously it's very helpful having all that um, usable technology, but actually to be able to sit down in the quiet and read a book again is is a pleasure i really, really missed since giving up reading a decade or so ago. And you can imagine the voices of the characters in your own head rather than having them recreated by a narrator. Um, and yeah, I, I find it very calming at the end of the day. I think it's really helped with my kind of general sense of independence there's a lot of things that i can just pick up that do have braille writing on them and you know i don't have to call my wife to say oh is that a tube of arnica or a tube of antiseptic Um, and it's a game i mean it's decoding in many ways and i always like doing crossword puzzles and um and acrostics and stuff like that and for me it's it's just a bit of code breaking and it makes me feel i suppose it makes me feel that i've got a skill that none of my sighted peers have and that's actually quite a nice reversal from being the blind guy in a room and having to rely on other sighted people to give me a hand and
1: that was red sail a uh, great video and great Um, to hear Red's braille learning journey and thanks to Fanula for putting that video together with Red Sail. Now, we're about to enter our breakout rooms. When you registered for this conference, you were asked to choose a session or a theme uh, that you would like to join. There are three breakout rooms. We have braille in primary and secondary, uh, school, And that room is being run by Melanie Pritchard and Matthew Horspool. We have Braille in higher education, further higher education and transitioning to work. And that session is being run by Laurent Cadetti de Fontenay and myself, Stuart. And we have Braille for leisure. So Georgina Hollinshead and Paul Sullivan are running uh, Braille for leisure. And it's just worth saying as well, that after that, we will all come back to this room and we will have another video before um, the panel starts.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of BrailleCast Extra. You can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to BrailleCast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice, or listening to BrailleCast, connecting the dots for brailleists everywhere on your smart speaker. For the latest information about future Braillist events and how to join live, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter at braillists.org newsletter slash sign up. You can also visit our events page at braillists.org events. If you have comments on this recording or suggestions of topics or guests for future events, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braylists.org. You can also find The Braylists on Twitter, at Braylists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. We welcome new listeners and live participants alike, so if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at The Braylists, thanks for listening, and bye for now. Six Dots to Success is presented in collaboration with Sight and Sound Technology Limited on the web at sightandsound.co.uk or sightandsoundtechnology.ie. Additional costs are defrayed by an Activate Fund of the Churchill Fellowship on the web at churchillfellowship.org.